Hello and welcome back to the Home Bible Study Podcast. We are deviating from our normal um, studies in Hebrews. We're not abandoning that. We're just uh, adding a little extra here uh, in between those lessons, uh, which I hope that you're following along in Hebrews and that you're going from start to finish. I promise you that uh, if you do that, the Lord has a special blessing for your life and to strengthen and to build you up. But also, uh, I'm doing some supplementary studies uh, based on some requests that I have. Um, And we did one on spiritual gifts. And now we're going to do one on what I like to call the unseen universe or the spiritual world around us. So it's important that we understand and know as much as we can about the Lord Jesus, about who we are, what our role is, uh, and our purpose in serving him in this life. So I think this is an integral part of that complete understanding. And it's also kind of exciting, you know, to learn these things. Um, And I hope that you enjoy um, the lesson and that these are some um, things that will help you in your growth and your understanding and knowledge of the Lord Jesus and what his will is for you particularly. So with that said, let's take a look at this subject. Now, this could be some kind of doctrine that I don't know about. Uh, someone could have already uh, orderly structured all of this information in a way that could be a lot more beneficial to you. But this is just my, uh, the things that I've learned as I've studied, the things that I've seen, and it's kind of an overview. I hope that it will help you in your study and maybe open your eyes, uh, excuse the metaphor, to see the bigger picture, the broader expanse of who the Lord is and what it is that he has called us to. Um, It's really easy to get tunnel vision, to look at the situation that we're in right now and to be really focused on kind of our little world and what's going on in it when we need to understand we're part of a much bigger plan and purpose of God. And I think throughout scripture, uh, we can see examples of uh, the Lord doing that in the lives of his people, Uh, Habakkuk being one that comes to mind right away. Uh, Isaiah, uh, different prophets that he called and he made them to see that he had a much larger purpose for the nation Israel than they really understood. And he had a greater purpose for even the nations around them and how he would use everything to glorify himself and in his purpose. So hopefully this will help us to understand our place and position in God's ultimate plan and it would encourage us and fuel us to want to serve him uh, and give our very best knowing that we do have we have been called to something uh, quite substantial so we live in a day of science fiction uh, you know the imagination of you know, the literature and cinema that we have access to uh, is pretty substantial. Um, 
it's big business to keep the masses entertained. That's there's a lot of money being put into entertainment, and science fiction is one of those that has grown uh, just in my lifetime. But what the world doesn't realize is that we are part of a story being played out that is far more exciting and mind-blowing than any Hollywood uh, production uh, could ever uh, make. Uh, the reality of the life we're living as believers uh, is pretty thrilling. The revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ is more exciting and dramatic than anything ever recorded. And it's all given to us in the Bible. So the Bible is very exciting. It's an exciting book. And uh, if you invest the time and the energy, prayer into the understanding and the study, God, the Holy Spirit will open the Bible up in a way to make you to see things that you couldn't even imagine. Um, and that's why. It's a, the living word. It's the Lord Jesus himself. It's his word. And it's the story of Jesus. And that's just an amazing thing. Uh, and God has not left us without information. We have lots of information. He wants us to know him fully. So for those of us who he's given eyes to see, those who are believers and ears to hear, God will reveal the amazing truths of his word. No eye has seen or ear ever heard what is still yet in the plan and purpose of God. Even though there's an abundance of information we have in the word, there's still far more to be revealed. But what we do have is pretty astonishing. So you can choose to dip your spoon anywhere in God's word. Um, my pastor used to say, it's like ice cream. You know, wherever you dip your spoon, you come up with something good. And it's true. Um, you're going to find satisfaction in his word. Um, the sweetness of a honeycomb is what it's been compared to. The, the revelation that God gives of himself is soul-stirring, you know. Uh, we see the... The power, you know, his judgment, his fierce displays of righteousness uh, and acts that are so kind, graceful and benevolent that they defy description. The Bible is one entire revelation of the many facets of God. Uh, and it's those facets that are put on display for us to be able to know, to enjoy uh, they're revealed very purposefully and systematically through the pages of Scripture. And it's a very exciting thing. One of the many exciting truths revealed in the Word is the, or the, I should say, are the unseen events that occur as we walk through life. We walk through life, we do the things that we do, we work, we go to school, we... Uh, go out and have a good time with one another. Uh, all the things that we do without thinking, all around us, there are, uh, there's this whole spiritual universe that um, exists. And it's pretty much hidden from the eyes of everyday man, but we're able to see it who are spiritual. God has given us 
the ability to know and to access this unseen, hidden world, the spiritual world around us. And there's a lot of science fiction that use that kind of uh, ploy, but this is reality. This is very real. So for those of us who desire to see this, these hidden things of God, he will open up your spiritual eyes and show you and give you uh, sometimes just a glimpse of the wonders that are all around us, the wonders that are associated with him and who he is and in his person. Uh, we must understand that God has no need to show us all that is occurring around us. There's no need for that. Uh, it wouldn't serve his purpose. And he does things that perpetuate his purpose and serve the ultimate purpose of his glorification. Yet the Lord has revealed many things um, that to him are common, but to us that are quite amazing. These facts are things that we couldn't know or be aware of apart from them being revealed. And no one who is unsaved can know the reality of these things because they're spiritually known. So God is spirit and he must be known spiritually. And those who are unsaved, they have no spiritual access to God. They are spiritually dead. So they can't know these things. So you can't go and try to witness uh, to someone about the... Um, these unseen things that pertain to God because it just won't mean anything to them. They, you're talking to a spiritually dead person. So to them, it's like a fairy tale. But to those of us who he has um, saved and indwelled with his spirit, now our eyes are open. We have what Ephesians calls the eyes of the heart or spiritual eyes. So, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judge of no man. That's 1 Corinthians 2.15. So we have this spiritual discernment or access to the, to the things of God. And through that, it's like a portal into... Um, all that pertains to God himself. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2.11 So it's clearly established that we can only interact or have uh, a relationship to God through his spirit. You know, this is something that the Lord Jesus promised that he would send a comforter. And we have uh, upon salvation, we have God, the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And the Bible describes God, the Holy Spirit's ministry as kind of an earnest, a deposit to comfort us to know that this is just the beginning. This is the beginning of many, many wonderful spiritual blessings that await us. And uh, it's to comfort us through this life that we live and to help us to uh, learn and to know and to have fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful gift. It's a wonderful ministry that God and the Holy Spirit has to us.
The fact that those who don't have the active indwelling of uh, ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, uh, the fact that they cannot receive anything spiritual is why Jesus died and was resurrected in the first place. His death, burial, and resurrection gives us access to this indwelling ministry, um, gives us access to life for those of us who are saved. Um, flesh or non-regenerate man cannot receive anything of the Spirit of God. That is the basic fact that we must uh, receive. That's what the word says. As it is revealed in Romans 8, 5, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. So there's a clear delineation between these two types of people. One is the unregenerate, unsaved, they mind the flesh, they're natural, they go, they go by their natural mind. But once the Lord has saved us and revealed that salvation to us, he gives us the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, and we're able then to commune spiritually with him and commune and access uh, all the things that are associated with him that he wants us to see. So the things that I'm about to share don't necessarily benefit the unsaved other than to reveal that the depths of the work and the power of God is truly beyond finding out, Romans 11.33. Um, so this is really a study that benefits, encourages, instructs those of us who are saved. So what evidence in scripture do we have of this unseen world? Um, we actually have more than I have time to even go over. It's all throughout scripture. Um, we have to start, I think, at the beginning. Uh, it's always a good idea whenever you're doing a study or anything that has to do with uh, the Lord Jesus to start at the beginning and kind of build because that's what he's done. He, his revelation of himself to us is progressive in the sense that the Bible is progressive. It moves in a very orderly fashion through time up into throughout dispensations. Uh, the way he reveals himself to us he starts with the salvation and then he starts revealing himself, his plan, his purpose, who he is to us through our lives as we walk by faith. So it's a probably a good rule to start from the beginning when you can. So if we're going to start from the beginning, we have to start in the Garden of Eden with Adam, Adam and Eve. So Adam fell. He was the corporate head of mankind. He represented all mankind first man to be created. And Adam fell, thereby plunging mankind into a separation from all things spiritual. Now I alluded to this in the spiritual gifts lesson that he must have had an access to God like we can only imagine at this point. Because he was able to commune with God and had a fellowship there that was... Um, that was you know established then then that was broken through the fall so the you know it must have been like having your arm ripped off you know having an arm before and then having it ripped off and then having no arm 
Um, that's the only way I can even try to uh, explain that. But that's the that's what happened. And so God, in his grace, has given us, after the fall, he gave man an opportunity to gain some of that access to him through the sacrifices that he gave. Um, when he told Cain and Abel, you'll take a, some, a, you know, an animal of the flock and you're going to sacrifice it. That was so that they would be able to have some access to God. That was grace that God would allow that, that he would institute that system to give mankind some semblance of access to this, to him spiritually. Uh, and we know uh, Abel embraced that, Cain did not. And that's been pretty much the story of our um, world. Those who are obedient and receive the grace of God and those who reject it. So we go back and we see this separation that happened the spiritual separation that happened. And now we kind of live in the aftermath of that. And that goes back as far as Adam. It says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That's Genesis uh, 2.17. Now we know the story. Adam ate of the tree. He experienced death on two levels. One, he died physically some 900 years after he ate of that fruit. He physically died. Um, but two, he died spiritually the very day that he ate of it. So that spiritual separation was immediate. And then that physical life that he lived was an aftermath of knowing what that's the, the consequence of that spiritual separation. So that was a it was a pretty uh, difficult um, thing that he had to do um, as a result of disobeying God. So spiritual death is to be completely cut off from God. That's what spiritual death is. And so it's just the opposite now for people where they live a life separated from God and then they die and then they're completely cut off through hell and the lake of fire. So um, it's the consequences uh, for being separated from God are pretty severe. A spiritually dead individual can still interact with spiritual beings, but never with God, right? So that's the difference. That's the thing that, uh, you know, the gray area that, yeah, um, people who are unsaved can interact with spiritual beings, but they can never interact with God. The fact that spiritual beings exist other than God is revealed throughout scripture. We know them as created intelligences or members of the angelic realm. Now there's a lot of things associated with angels that people have created in movies and books and you know that's just far-fetched, fanciful and fake. But the reality of the angelic realm is clearly uh, presented in scripture. There is no focus on angels in the scripture. Angels just exist. Uh, just like we don't focus on oxygen. Oxygen just exists, you know. And um, 
But it's important for us to know and have a right understanding of who angels are, what they what they do, what their role is um, in the worship and glorification of the Lord Jesus. That is important for us to know that. Um, we've been, when I say we, I'm talking about mankind, those who are descendants of Adam. We've been bound to the physical realm by sin, right? And therefore, we can't interact with the spiritual realm. So we've been bound to this physical realm by sin. And so we can't interact with the spiritual realm. But even modern science reveals that the evidence of other dimensions as something that we've discovered through quantum um, studying in, 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 in quantum physics that they have there's multiple dimensions of space beyond our three dimensions now without getting super complicated and going into an area that uh, many people may find confusing uh, i'll just put that out there if you want to research that then there's a lot of material out where you can research quantum physics but the fact is is that they have discovered through these this research that there are multiple dimensions. How many they're not sure of, but they know there's more than just the ones that we operate in, the one, two, three uh, dimensions of space and time. So um, now that we know that you know they're there, we also know that we can't ac access these dimensions. But theoretically, if a being of intelligence existed outside our three-dimensional space, they could interact with us while we could not interact or even see them. It's pretty amazing. Um, now, I'm no scientist, but uh, I say this to you because, you know, we, over time, we've learned a lot more about our physical universe. And I think in Daniel, it says that knowledge will increase. And I think that's part of that knowledge increasing in the future. We're learning more about our physical universe than we have known at any other time that's in recorded history. Now, how much they knew in the past, we don't know. That wasn't recorded. But in recorded history, this is the most we've known. The, in the interesting fact is that God has revealed these things that I'm talking about almost in passing, you know, uh, as he reveals himself in the pages of scripture. So these things that we find to be amazing and new, uh, they're already in the Bible. And it's like, matter of fact, well, yeah, here it is. So um, that's, that's what I, that's one of the things I enjoy about scripture is not just the things that you learn about um, that are, you know, up front in your face, but also the other things that are revealed about the depth and the height of the Lord Jesus, who he is, and this universe that he has created. And there's no lack of um, information um, or learning. And he has given us God, the Holy Spirit, which enables us to receive far more understanding than we would be able to in and of ourselves. 
And it's amazing. I mean, it's a wonderful experience. And it all ties back to his grace and his goodness. And to learn it about the one whom we have to do and whom we will be with for eternity. Um, it's pretty amazing. And it's, it's something that encourages the heart. And it... Um, it's very satisfying to, to learn, and it makes you want to know more about the one whom we love so much and who loves us. So with that said, let's start with some examples of scripture that seem to kind of peel back the curtain of our dimensional bondage and reveal the spiritual world that exists simultaneously with our physical existence. And that's the thing. We're not talking about, well, we're going to go to a different space altogether. These, the space, the dimensions, they're, they're on top of one another. They're, they coexist. And these things are happening all around us uh, without uh, us even being able to see or know it. But it's important for us to know uh, about these things because they help us to understand and, and uh, give us a sense of um, encouragement that the Lord Jesus is always with us and he's protecting us and he's empowered us to be able to serve. And as we walk by faith, we are accomplishing his will without even being completely conscious of it. That all we have to do is look to him, be obedient, he tells us to do something, he leads us, just do it. You don't have to understand completely why you're doing it. Just trust him and do it. And you'll find that you're a part of a much bigger uh, purpose and plan. And it's not important for us to know what those details are. We will. We have eternity to, to, uh, to know those things. But for now... While we're in this life, we are to just trust him and to perpetuate, to speak and to share his gospel message that he has come to save men. That salvation is in a person and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That he has secured that salvation and he has it to give to whomever he wills. That's an important thing. So let's look at some of the um, scriptures that support or reveal this unseen world. Um, first one, Revelation 7.1. So, of course, in Revelation, we're, the, the title of the book is Revelation. It's the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, his plan, his purpose. And it's specifically the revelation of Christ upon his second advent when he comes back and all the things associated with him returning to the earth. Um, it says, and after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow or on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. That's Revelation 7.1. So here we see... In this verse, these unseen spiritual creatures, uh, these angels, they can interact with the natural forces of our physical world. They could literally keep the wind from blowing. 
And so that shows um, how that, you know, there's things we can't do that, but they're able to do things and interact into our world in ways that uh, we cannot. And uh, I think that's quite amazing. So maybe you need a more literal example. Um, you know, maybe that's what something that to help you really grasp this, the truth of these things. Um, we have an example of God opening the eyes of a man and allowing him to witness this otherwise invisible activity all around us. Actually, we have multiple examples. Uh, the best example of this, I would say, is 2 Kings 6.8. Let's take a look at that. Now, a little tidbit about uh, Kings. Uh, Kings and Chronicles... They kind of overlap because, you know, first and second kings, they're the historical books, historical accounts of the kings, their rule, their impact, and all that God did through them. Chronicles uh, is another historical book, and it, uh, it shows a lot of the same information. But the difference is kings is the human perspective, whereas chronicles is God's perspective. So it's very interesting when you study those two books to kind of keep that in mind. But we're going to look here at um, a uh, event that happened during Elijah's um, ministry to the people. In 2 Kings 6, starting in verse 8, Then the king of Syria uh, warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God, this is talking about Elijah, um, sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place. So basically, wherever the king of Syria said they were going to go and camp out to try to war against Israel, Elijah would warn the king of Israel, saying, Hey, don't go to this place. Beware that thou pass not such a place. For thither the Syrians will come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there, not once nor twice. So multiple times the king of Israel would listen to Elijah and he would be delivered. He would not fall for the trap that, the, uh, that Syria had waiting for him. Verse 11. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled. He was very upset, basically, for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? So he's like, there's a spy in the camp. Because this guy knows everything we're doing. So we need to figure out who's telling the king of Israel what our plans are. Verse 12. And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elijah the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. Right? So Elijah was able to um, share all the secrets of the king of Syria. And uh, if anything, God gave him access to this information. And so verse 13, 
And he said, go and spy where he is. The king of Syria wants to find out where this Elijah guy is. He says, go and spy where he is that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him saying, behold, he is in Dothan. That's where Elijah was. They found him. Verse 14. Therefore, sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. So this is, when they say a great host, they mean hundreds of men. We don't know how many, but a lot. And they came by night and compassed the city about. So they find out that Elijah is in Dothan. They get uh, as many men and horses that they can, and they surround that city. Because they're like, he's not getting away. We're going we're gonna to get this guy. So they compass the city about. Verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God, this is Elijah's servant, was risen early uh, and gone forth, behold, uh, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? So basically he's saying he got up early. He noticed all these horses and chariots encompassing the city. And he went back and told Elijah. And he's like, we're in big trouble. Verse 16. And he answered, this is Elijah, fear not. So understand first that the purpose of God doing this is to comfort his people. To... Uh, and that's why he shows us things. That's why he opens up the word to us and shows us these things. Uh, he says, fear not for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. That's a principle, an axiom of scripture that you need to write on your forehead, forehead, maybe inside your eyelids that if you, it's just you and Jesus, you always have the advantage. Don't ever forget that. He says, uh, and uh, he says, and he answered, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. That's really important. Verse 17, and Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elijah. Okay, so the, the the young man was worried, but Elijah said, let me show you something. So he prayed and God opened up his eyes and he was able to see that there was horses and chariots of fire all around them. Um, so this is one of those instances that are, it's kind of on the nose instance of where God has a myriad of angels at his disposal and they have a direct ministry in the lives of his people, particularly in the nation Israel. So uh, the reason that God had for this man to see and open his eyes was to comfort him because he was full of fear. And we're the same way, right? We, we oftentimes are, you know, full of fear. We look at the situation we look around at our physical universe and all the circumstances point to our demise. But we have to know like this, like Elijah knew and this young man, this servant of his found out that God 
has unlimited resources at his disposal. And he has given us these resources in Christ. Because we're in Christ, they're ours now. We have the same resources. And he is going to protect us and his purpose in us will be done. We just have to keep our eyes on him and not on the circumstances. So the man of God has access to knowledge and the activity of God and all of his, uh, meaning God's activity as it pertains to living a life of faith. That is something that we have. If you're a man or a woman or child, whatever, and you're saved, God will give you access, will give you knowledge to all that you need to live this life of faith. Just trust him. God in Christ says that all things are ours. And if it serves his purpose, he'll show you whatever you need to see. You know, he, he has an abundance of grace and mercy. And we have access to that limitless grace and mercy. We just have to take hold of that. We have to just receive that. Uh, James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given. That's the promise. That's the promise of God that if you need anything in this life, anything in the that will help you to serve him, to trust him, to grow in faith, just ask. And he'll give it to you. He wants you to have it. Um, he wants us to look to him. He wants us to learn to look to him in our life. Very important principle. But I'll tell you this, you need to be warned. Um, Habakkuk went to the Lord with a bunch of questions. And it's okay. God wants us to come to him with questions. He has the answers. Uh, there's no question that you could bring to God that he will not answer. He won't abradeth you for asking a question, no matter what the question is. He's gracious, he's merciful, he's patient, he's kind, and he will give you the answers that you need. Just be sincere. Just ask from your heart with sincerity because he sees the heart. Um, so Habakkuk had a bunch of questions, and the things that God showed him in answering those questions calls tobacco to plead from the mercy of God to Israel. And this is the best outcome of any revelation from the Lord Jesus. Anytime he shows us anything, it should make us to be more like him. We should go, we should move into a position of wanting mercy and grace to be uh, a part of his purpose and his plan. Because um, once you're in a proper place, in a proper position in relationship to the Lord Jesus and his purpose for us in our lives, that's what we become. We become advocates of mercy. I think that's a good uh, title for believers. We are advocates of mercy. We come with a message of mercy. 
we live a life that exemplifies grace and mercy. And mercy should be uh, always on our lips. So my point in, in this is that we're responsible to live in the light that we're given, right? As we are given more uh, understanding and knowledge, we're responsible to live in the light of that. The word of God is sweet in our mouth, but bitter in our stomach. Um, to see all that is around us is to carry a heavy weight of knowledge. To be aware of all the things that are around us. To be able to see beyond just the natural world. Um, there's a, there's a, a burden of knowledge that comes with that. But for me, I'd rather carry that knowledge than to be ignorant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd rather have that. Because knowing him is worth it. Knowing him and to, to know more of him makes it to be a very light burden to bear. That's what he said. My yoke is easy. You know, what a privilege we have to know him in the power of his resurrection. We have a great privilege and we get to share that with others. And that's what we should be doing. So let's look at another example of God revealing this unseen world to a man in scripture. Let's see uh, another example so that we can really, you know, this point can get uh, sink in into our minds, in our hearts. Let's take a look at Ezekiel. Ezekiel, that whole book is amazing. Um, Ezekiel ministered during the time of the uh, captivity when Babylon came in three waves and decimated the uh, city. Ezekiel was taken in one of those initial waves and um, the people needed encouragement and God raised up this prophet to try to help them to understand that what he was planning to do was intimate. All the other prophets, the false prophets were saying, oh, we're going to be fine. Everything's going to be great. Everything's great. And Ezekiel was saying, no, we're about to be taken away into Babylon. And we're, we're about to go on a trip that we don't want to go on. And they would wind up being in Babylon for 70 years. So this is kind of the stage for Ezekiel's prophecy. And if you want to enjoy that prophecy, please study it. I think you would you'd find a lot of blessing in it. But one of the most striking things about his prophecy is how it begins. Uh, he was on the river Kibar, um, and he gives the exact time and date. I'm going to go ahead and read that chapter, and you'll be able to see right away that he was given um, eyes to see things that are just not normal, not normally seen in our natural world. Ezekiel chapter 1 beginning verse one. Now it came to pass in the 13th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Kibar. So these are the captives that have been taken by um, Babylon. They're taken into slavery. That the heavens were open and I saw visions of God. Um, in the fifth day of the month, 
which was the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity. The word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kibar, and the hand of the Lord was there upon him. And I, verse 4, And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof, as the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. Also, out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. Um, they had the likeness of a man, and everyone had four faces, and everyone had four wings, and their feet were straight feet, and the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like the color of burnished brass, and they had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides, and they four had the faces had their faces and their wings, and the wings were joined one to another. They turned not when they went. They went every one straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, the four had the face of a man, the face of a lion the, on the right side, and the four had the face of an ox um, on, the, on the left side, and they four had the face of an eagle. Uh, thus were their faces and their wings were stretched upward, two wings on every one were joined one to another, and two covered their bodies. And they went every one straight forward. Whither the spirit was to go, they went, and they turned not when they went. For the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire. And like the appearance of lamps, it went up and down among the living creatures, and the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. So here we see, without me reading the entire chapter, you can already see that there was a lot going on here. And um, another thing I want to point out here, um, where it says... It talked about how their movement, the things that we saw with the movement. And verse 21, when those went, these went. And when those stood, these stood. And when those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels uh, were lifted up over against them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. So they had these, what he calls, Wheels within a wheel, they're intersecting, and they moved um, in a way that was not, you know, like wheels that we know of. And so this man, Ezekiel, tried to describe this as best he could. Even us casually reading it, you can see there's a challenge there, and our mind is struggling to try to, to picture this because we don't have anything to really compare it to. Even the animals that he's mentioned and how these angels, these living creatures, had four faces. And the faces that were familiar to us as far as we know these animals, but there's no animals that we know of that on in our natural world that have this kind of uh, body structure. So now we're, you know, in here given 
what I think one of the most detailed descriptions of the pre-incarnate Christ. He goes on to describe a man that was above the firmament on a throne. And that was obviously obviously the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's describing is his chariot of glory that, you know, the Lord had this chariot so that he could, you know, move about his creation um, upon his throne. And Ezekiel saw that God opened his eyes and made him to see um, his glory. And that was very needed in that time when they felt as a nation quite defeated that they know that God was still there. God is uh, just outside of view, but he is always with us. Uh, even in our modern day, it's difficult to picture what Ezekiel is describing to us. Um, it's certainly related to the limitations of our three-dimensional thinking. I mean, we, we think in a way that's three-dimensional. The things that he described seem to defy the natural laws that we are bound to in our three-dimensional world. If you apply the basics of quantum physics, um, you can see many of the basic things that we've discovered or observed in quantum weirdness. That's what they call it, quantum weirdness. We can see that described in the behavior of this chariot and how that it operates. Um, we can see that in this vision. So clearly these beings are not bound by the same rules that we are. And this unseen world, uh, the spiritual world, works differently than the world we live in. And why is that important? Because that's where we're headed. We're, we're headed into that, uh, that space where the things that Ezekiel saw will become commonplace to us. They will be, will be acclimated to a whole new um, world. And the anchor for us is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. He is going to be our anchor. He's going to anchor us to this new existence, these eternal things that await us. And so it's important for us to, to know him and to develop and grow in Christ in our relationship with him so that we can draw from that. Uh, that'll be our comfort as we transition from this life to the next. And that should be our hope. That's what, that's what we should be looking forward to is the fact that, you know, this is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven where things like this exist. That's where we're going to spend eternity. And that should excite us, you know, and it should get our eyes off of the circumstances that we are facing. Uh, it makes the things of this earth, this world seem quite trivial when you get your eyes on the Lord Jesus and you see that you're a part of this bigger purpose and it should excite us. It should encourage us, you know, in our day to day living as we walk by faith. So um, if, if the things that Ezekiel saw is still beyond our understanding, our modern understanding, can you imagine what 
Ezekiel must have thought, how this must have affected him. The relationship of matter in the wheel within a wheel that he talks about. Uh, the movement that was unrestricted by any force as we know it in the wheels working and how that they would move powered by the spirit. So the that those things suggest um, that there are um, properties of spiritual matter that don't relate to where we are. And that's exciting to be able to see and to know that that's, that's part of where we're headed, of uh, where we're going to spend eternity. So now let's see some examples of this spiritual universe as, you know, when uh, it affects man, because we are affected by this spiritual universe. Um, there are scriptures, and I'm not going to really go into it, where um, the pre-incarnate Christ will approach uh, a, a person and they will immediately fall to their face because it's overwhelming. Like there's no con congruency between flesh and spirit that, you know, they say these people will interact with spiritual beings with the pre-incarnate Christ and they will fall that they, they're like, hey, my body has no strength left in it because those two things are not designed to function at the, together. Uh, but there is examples of um, people who have been manipulated by spiritual beings, uh, never by any uh, angels, never by God, uh, because God is righteous who wouldn't do that. But there's a uh, negative side if God is the positive side there's a negative side to the spiritual world and that would be the fallen angels or the uh, demons as we describe them um, the limitation of the physical world keeps us from interacting with spiritual beings only God can open that up and allow that to happen um, so there is a limitation or restriction um that's there and spiritual beings um, have a restriction upon them like they can only act in a way that is according to the purpose of God right so God controls this universe to the to the smallest detail we may not look like it to us but all things that are happen are a part of his purpose and plan and ordered by him. It's very important for us to understand that. Um, we know that Satan and the fallen angels that I mentioned, the demons, uh, that they went with him. They had this um, revolt in heaven against God. And God judged them and cast them down to earth. Um, some of these demons were bound up to be released at a later time uh, that satisfies the purpose of God in uh, maybe the um, tribulation period or whatever his purpose is for them. But we know they're, they've been bound and they're going to be released at that time. But there's others that were allowed by God to exist on earth, but they've also been restricted, we've learned. 
they restrict it to only be able to operate in a localized way. So if they had unrestricted, unfettered movement, there would be chaos on the earth. There would be utter chaos. But God has them uh, to use them for his purpose. And we have to understand that even these uh, demons have a purpose in God's plan. And he has them restricted so that they can only satisfy his will and his purpose. So they can only operate in a localized way, meaning that unless they possess a physical being, they can only interact with the physical world in a designated area. So there's a lot of limitations placed on these beings. So they don't have just unfettered access to do with whatever they want. Um, and that's, you know, that's the grace of God for us. Uh, no believer can be possessed by uh, a demon or some spiritual being because we have God the Holy Spirit in us. And so we cannot be possessed. Only those who are unsaved can be possessed. Um, so that's a comfort as well. We can see an example of this, this restricted movement and possession in the account of Legion. And that's in Mark chapter 5 and I'm going to go ahead and turn there you can turn with me to Mark chapter 5 and I'm going to read it now one of the principles that we know to be true is that the activity or uptick in activity of the uh, spiritual beings uh, Satan and his um, cohorts they it it it's directly related to the activity of the Lord Jesus Christ so when the spirit is moving, the spirit is uh, really active and we are active in our faith and we're walking by faith and we're ministering and we're being faithful and carrying out the will and purpose of God, then we're going to see an uptick in the activity of Satan and his um, demons to try to counter that activity. And that was never more true than when the Lord Jesus was here on earth and he was ministering to the people. You see several accounts throughout the Gospels of demonic activity. And that's because there's a direct correlation between those two. Um, and we have to understand that. But obviously the Lord Jesus is sovereign over all things. And that was not an issue for him. But here in Mark chapter 5, we're going to see an account. And I'm going to go ahead and read it of how this um, demonic activity and how it affected those who were unsaved. And, how, and the same principles are true today. In uh, Mark chapter 5, I'll read starting in verse 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs or the graveyards, a man with an unclean spirit um, who had his dwelling among the tombs or among the graves. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because... He had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him. So they have metal chains binding this man, and he could break them. So supernatural power and strength 
was being displayed by this person. And the fetters broken into pieces, neither could any man tame him. So he was uh, just like a madman and he couldn't be controlled. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. So he's very self-destructive, right? Very, this man was being tormented and his self-destruction was a part of his character. Verse six, but when he saw Jesus afar off, and this is the effect of the Lord Jesus upon the natural and spiritual world. When he saw Jesus afar off, so Jesus wasn't even near yet. He just saw him from a distance. He ran and worshiped him because you have to understand that all of God's created beings, intelligences worship him, even those who um, are evil spirits, because he's God, you know, he's God. Uh, it's, it's interesting that, you know, unsaved man does not worship God, but these demons, they they recognize God and who he is. Um, verse seven, and cried with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with thee? So he wants to know, this, this, this demon wants to know, well, what's going on? You know, why are you here? Like, what, what's going on? <laughs> He's in shock. Uh, he says, what do I, have, do I have to do with thee, Jesus, son of the most high God? He says, I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. So the demons know that there's a time of torment that is coming. And this one in particular was terrified at the very thought of that torment and begged not to be tormented. Uh, verse 8, for he said unto him, this is the Lord Jesus, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. So he gets commanded him, just come out. Um, in verse 9, and he asked him, what is thy name? So, and he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Um, so this was several demons. Several demons had taken up host in this man's body. And that's why he had this supernatural power and why he was constantly self-destructive and crying verse 10 uh, and he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country this is the 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 demons begging not to be sent away um, verse 11 now there were nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding the gadarenes they were in the pig business and that's what uh, these pigs were over there feeding. Verse 12, And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. Right? They, they, didn't, they wanted to be able to have this activity, because without possessing uh, a physical body, they were limited into what they could do. And they're like, Hey, don't send us away. We don't want to be tortured. We don't want to go to hell in like a fire because, you know, it wasn't time for that. But they know it's coming. They know it's coming. And they say, send us into the swine that we may enter into them. Verse 13. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave 
And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. Um, there were about 2,000. 2,000 of these uh, demons were inside of this man. And they were choked in the sea. So they went into these pigs. The pigs immediately committed suicide and went into the over the mountain into the sea. And they drown um that's what demons do they're destructive they have only one goal and that is to uh destroy um and there's different you know levels there's different ranks uh of demons and according to whatever their rank is is going to have to do with their reach their scope or their intent and these were obviously some kind of low level uh, we just want to destroy things kind of uh infantry type demons and so that's what they did they immediately destroyed these these pigs um they they went over the in the a steep place into the sea <clears throat> verse 14 and they fed they fed the swine and they fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country and they went out to see what it what was done okay so um the people that fed these pigs that were taking care of them ran and they went and told everybody what happened what they saw um and people wanted to come see what what happened they're like what Are you, they, they explained everything in verse 15 and they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid. So this is what Jesus does. This is the effect that Jesus has upon mankind. He has come to deliver us from the evil that sin has opened the door to. The sin that occurred originally with Adam has opened the door to all kinds of just bad things. It's a mean, bad world, and it's full of mean, bad things. But Jesus has come to deliver us from that. He has come in mercy in his first advent and in grace to deliver us from the consequence of sin. And we see that exemplified in this man that was possessed. So we see the many evidences of this spiritual world that exists. Um, and behind this world's governments and nations, even the good old USA that we live in, those, those of us who are in the USA, um, there are these spiritual forces that perpetuate an evil agenda. That's another aspect of this uh, unseen world that is revealed in scripture. So we know that Satan and his order of principalities, that's the highest ranking of the ranks of demonic uh, beings, his principalities, they work uh, on the side of evil to oppose God to oppose his word and his work behind the scenes. When I say behind the scenes, it's like not visible to us. 
there is a constant warfare that is going on all around around us. And we're a part of that. We actually have a role in fighting on behalf of all that is good. We are representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are soldiers that have been equipped and are being equipped to fight on behalf of all that is good. Um, the war that's going on that you know is pretty much unseen is fought on multiple fronts on a spiritual battlefield. So as we see the rise and fall of nations, people who seem to come out of nowhere and come into power, um, people who have agendas that are very anti-God, um, these people seem to always manifest themselves in places of leadership. Even in the presidency of the United States, we see as different regimes take over, it doesn't matter if they're Republican or if they're Democrat, um, they have an agenda. And that agenda is always anti-God. It's apart from God. And they feign, you know, they have prayer breakfasts and things like that. But these are not Christian people. They are, they can be very religious, but they're not Christian. And so behind those governmental systems are these, is Satan and his, his order of um, demons that are like pulling the, the strings to always perpetuate his agenda. Well, what is his agenda? Anything that's against God, because he says, I want to be like the most high. So he wants to set up world systems that perpetuate him and his purpose. And at the same time, he's constantly working against uh, God and his people. But we have a role in the ministry in that just by walking by faith, just by obeying God, we keep that, uh, keep him at bay and his uh, plans and purposes are foiled by us trusting God. It's amazing what the Lord has done. So this is the truth. This is what's happening in the background. So the, the different battlefronts, spiritual battlefronts that are revealed in scripture. First is in heaven. Heaven itself is a battlefront. You know, we don't think of heaven as a place where there's a spiritual warfare going on, but that's where it started. That's where Satan and all of his um, followers, angelic followers, first revolted. And yes, God said, get out of here. And he kicked them all out. But Satan still has access to heaven. And he has a role that he's accomplishing or a purpose that he uses with that access. Satan stands as the accuser of the brethren. That is his position. He accuses the brethren and the brethren are all those who are saved. Uh, Satan still has this access to heaven and his primary objective is to accuse and present mankind as a worthless and meaningless creation of God. That's what he wants to do. 
Um, those of us who are saved, those of us who have been given so much of the grace and mercy of God, well, Satan didn't have access to, access to grace and mercy like we do. There's no salvation for Satan. And so his only hope is to try to accuse us to say, hey, look at that person that you redeemed, that you've given so much to, that you've given eternity to as a promise. Look at them. Look what they're doing. Look at the sin that they're, they've fallen into. And that's his role. That's what he does. Um, Satan has, from the beginning, seen mankind as a threat to his place as the highest-ranking created being. The creation of man really disturbed and upset Satan, I believe. And I believe that's why immediately he attacked man and through Eve led man into uh, sin. The scripture says that he is constantly accusing the brethren. That's Revelations, Revelation 12.10. Forgive me. So that's what he does. Uh, Satan has given the nations of the world um, their motivation. He's behind these great powers uh, because the world belongs to him. God has given the world into his hands. And, the, and when he attempted to tempt the Lord Jesus, he, he says, look, he showed him all the world in instances. Hey, I can give you all of this. All you have to do is worship me. So he was given the world and he has access and the ability to operate in our physical world and move about in a way that others cannot. Um, and he is the head of all that is against God. So we can see this throughout scripture. There's several times that Satan has been associated with uh, the world system, with um, great nations, Egypt being the first one. Egypt is a type of the world system. Uh, in its heyday, uh, Egypt was one of the most powerful nations of the world and had great influence, great knowledge, um, access to uh, advanced technology. All of this was because Satan was behind it. And that's why the Lord Jesus used Egypt as an example when he delivered the people from Egypt. He mocked all of the false gods that um, were set up um, in those plagues. All the plagues were, if you study it closely, they, the plague of frogs, well, they worship frogs. So God says, okay, I'm going to give you so many frogs, they're going to be coming out of your noses there so that you, you're sick of them. So in all those plagues, God was mocking the false gods of, of Egypt. And behind idolatry and false gods is Satan because he wants to be like the Most High. So it was really a display of God's power, not only in delivering the people, but in how he did it. It's amazing. It's pretty, um, pretty amazing if you look at it from that perspective. There's also uh, Tyre and Sidon, Ezekiel 28, 12, um, where there's obviously a reference to Satan in 
the king of Tyre and Sidon and the things that are said about um, the king of Tyre and Sidon, we can see that Satan was behind those uh, particular the rulers. And every ruler, every you know, great nation, uh, it's not where Satan himself is, but he's behind that, uh, the growth and uh, influence of that uh, nation. And it's always, you know, by war. It's always by destruction because that's what evil does. Evil cannot be satisfied. They, evil wants destruction. Evil wants bloodshed. Evil wants to pervert all the good things that God has made. That's what evil does. That's their motivation is to pervert and to uh, go against all that is right and is good uh, that the Lord has created. But obviously God is sovereign over all those things and uses them for his purpose. And then we see in, Pergamo, in Pergamos in Revelation 2.13 where it says that that's where the seat of Satan was. That the, those believers were operating at the very seat of where Satan was. And that's a uh, and what, what is indicative of that? Well, martyrdom, killing, uh, opposition. So that's something that we all, to some degree, have to face from this unseen world that is around us. But we always have the grace of God and his purpose in whatever he brings into our lives or our way. There's a reason for it, and we should just trust him and know that it's glorifying him. The most revealing scripture, I think, that speaks directly of this ongoing war between good and evil is found in Daniel, the book of Daniel. Just as evil has their principalities, God has an innumerable army of angels that would not and could not fall, right? They never would and they could not. They were not even able to go against him. Um, or ever revolt against God. Uh, they live to serve his purpose, and they're described as ministers of fire. Psalm 104.4. These creatures have names. They're intel there's, they, we have to understand that angels are intelligent. intelligent. They have personalities. They have volition. They are um, servants of great power. Um, and they live to serve God. He has created them for this purpose. Um, and it's interesting when you think of the fact that, you know, these angels have names. They can be known. Um, and some of them are introduced to us. Some of them, as God has revealed things in his word, these angels play a, a role in that revelation and we get to know them. We get to know something about them and we get to know their names. Um, they're, they're almost kind of given to us matter-of-factly. In Daniel chapter 12, I'm going to read that so that we can see 
an example of this this principle that I'm talking about. So in Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, see the prince or principality, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there should be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. So here we see one of those principalities named um, as it's revealed to Daniel of the great tribulation that's coming and how that during that time, the archangel Michael, this uh, angel that serves the will and purpose of God, that we see also in other scriptures uh, revealed that he has a very prominent role in the service of the Lord Jesus and that at this time he is going to represent the nation Israel. He has been assigned to the nation Israel to watch over and protect them. And yes, there's probably a number of other angels that carry out uh, a ministry in that service, but they report to Michael and Michael reports to the Lord Jesus. So there's a war and there's soldiers, there's generals, and they're all operating to under the direction and the will of the Lord Jesus. And all of this perpetuates his plan and purpose. These are all cogs in the wheel that perpetuate the sovereign purpose of God. And God is not sitting in heaven wondering how all this is going to turn out. He has perpetuated this. He's the author and finisher of our faith. So he has written a story. He's the one that writes the story. He's the one that makes sure the story is comes to its completion. And if we understand our relationship to him and God's relationship to all that's going on around us, it's a comfort to us, right? It encourages, encourages us to know that there is no circumstance, no situation that's beyond his knowledge, his ability, or his will. And we could rest in the fact that we know he is good and he's intended for all these things to work for our good. Over and over he tells us that because we need to hear it over and over. But this is just one example of this uh, these created beings in the the ministry that they carry out in the protection of God's people. Also in Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, it says, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me uh, one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the king of Persia. So, so here we see in Persia during this time, uh, there's a principality assigned to Persia. So this is one of the evil uh, principalities. And uh, its re responsibility is to uh, prop up the nation of Persia. And this principality resisted uh, the coming of this messenger 
to Daniel to reveal and answer the prayers that he had uh, sent to, that he prayed to God for understanding. And so God sent this messenger to give him understanding, but the messenger, it says, was withstood for 21 days by this principality of Persia. So here we see this, this warfare that's going on or how that uh, these evil forces try to uh, delay and to uh, circumvent the uh, ministry that God has for us. But this is all part of his plan and purpose. And it says that this messenger received help from Michael. So this is that a picture of that great warfare that's going on that we don't even see. So we see that other nations have these principalities working uh, against the nation Israel. Um, we have to remember that at the time of Daniel, that was the focus. It was all about Israel. Was all, that was the nation of God. Well, now we live in an age where the church age has been revealed. And now we, the church, have... Uh, are, have been given the responsibility, the primary responsibility of representing God, his word, and his truth. And so we're going to experience some of this adversarial um, activity as well. But we have the Lord Jesus to, um, to fight for us. We don't have to depend on angels, the ministry of angels. We have the Lord Jesus himself. We can go directly to the throne of grace uh, what a what a wonderful and amazing thing we have um, in Christ as members of this church age. Um, it's just amazing that we can go directly to the Lord Jesus and he fights our battles. He represents us and he gives us all that we need to accomplish his will. So this angelic ministry was well known to Israel and uh, could be seen in all of their uh, culture, even in the um, um, curtains that were inside the tabernacle. There were angels stitched into it. And the Ark of the Covenant, the top of it was considered the mercy seat. And there were two angels with their wings, um, two angels facing each other, facing inward with their wings facing each other and looking down upon this mercy seat. And that was uh, to show the prominence of angels as a part of the throne room of God. The tabernacle was a pattern of the actual throne room of God in heaven. And so it was to be a pattern or a picture of what existed uh, in the spiritual. So it was a natural uh, you know, earthy creation uh, to represent that which was spiritual. God has revealed himself to the nation Israel over many different occasions throughout scripture. And so they're very aware of the uh, existence of these otherwise unseen creatures and this unseen universe all around us. It, they, they were very knowledgeable of this. The revelation of God in Christ is progressive. 
And while many of these verses that we've looked at reveal to us something of the spiritual realm, mostly they're focused on revealing some aspect of God and our relationship to him. That's the purpose of the Lord Jesus in his word is to help us to know and to gain um, greater access to him, who he is in his person and his work. We've been given this spiritual armor as revealed in Ephesians because we need protection in this spiritual war, right? We're a part of it. We're engaged in this. We're engaged in this spiritual warfare and our weapons are the fruit of the spirit. That's the thing. We don't have guns and bombs and that's not how we fight. We fight with the fruit of the spirit. So as we grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, as we become more like him, we're manifesting his grace and his mercy in it. We witness to that to others, and that's how we fight. We fight by manifesting love, hope, and joy uh, to an otherwise dead world. And God causes those things to minister to the people around us, and those who are his are going to respond to those things, and it opens up the door for us to be able to witness and minister the gospel. And those fruit testify to the reality of what it is that we're saying um, in a way that, you know, nothing else can. Our lives live by faith testify to a lost world that Jesus Christ and his glorious salvation is real. Our presence alone can radiate spiritual influence by our walk of faith. And either people are going to respond positively to that or negative. There's no in-between. Um, we are the ambassadors of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the influence of God, the Holy Spirit, uh, upon a lost and dying world, that's kind of, that's who we are. That's what we are, part of our purpose for being here why we're not taken immediately to heaven after we're saved, because we have a role in God's plan and purpose. Uh, all of the blessings that were promised in scripture are spiritual. Uh, the things that are promised to the church are spiritual blessing. The nation Israel was, they promised the land, the seed and the blessing. Their blessings are tied to uh, the earth and uh, to a land that they're going to have in a, a kingdom, a thousand-year kingdom on this earth. But us, we, we get to skip right past that, and we get to go directly into this spiritual realm and into eternity with Christ in the heavenly places. Um, our outward bodies are going to fail over time. The older you get, the more you realize that. Our, the, our bodies are affected by, you know, just the sin in the world we live in. And there's so much uh, that just pulls us down. And that's why we die. Ultimately, it's because of sin. And so we can't really count on our bodies. Uh, we shouldn't draw from the natural 
but we should feed our spiritual selves because our souls are renewed, you know, daily by the washing of the word, by the encouragement of the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit uh, in us. We are renewed, built up, strengthened and matured so that our soul continues to grow and grows into this um, purposed, perfect uh, being that is like the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why it's important for us to study the word and to learn more of him because it causes us to grow. So what is unseen by the natural world is opened up to us through the Lord Jesus. He has given us to know of our purpose in, and his purpose and his plan of glorification. All of this is glorifying the Lord Jesus. Everything that is done, everything that exists, all things that are created were for him, created by him. One day we're going to be with him in this heavenly realm, but not as it is now. You know, he, the, the heavenly realm that awaits us is very different from the one that exists now. But we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth that we're going to operate in. In Christ, the entire universe of creation will be reconciled. And the veil that separates us from him will be completely removed. Just like the veil that was torn in two at his uh, death, burial, and resurrection. There's a new heaven and a new earth awaiting us. A new spiritual creation where uh, there's going to be a reconciliation between the natural and the spirit and there's going to be a harmony that exists in his purpose and we have that future that's a very glorious future for us we have a grace-filled present and a glorious future and we have to keep both of those in mind that whatever is going on in our present it is ordered through grace and filtered through grace. And our future is a spiritual future and it's full of glory. So we should be rejoicing. That's what Paul said. Rejoice always in these truths. Again, I say rejoice. And having done all, we need to stand because we are presently a part of this great spiritual war and we have a role to play. And our role is to manifest the grace of the Lord Jesus in our lives. And we will do that. He is faithful to accomplish that in us. We do have a responsibility to keep our eyes on him and to put him first in all things. And in doing that, we will accomplish many things beyond even our own ability to completely understand at this time. So be encouraged, walk by faith, live by faith, trusting that the Lord is with you at all times. Uh, him and his heavenly host surround you in protection and in grace, uh, even when you cannot see. Uh, we can't lean on our own understanding because of that. We can't go by just what we see. Because what we see could misrepresent 
the reality of God's grace that's with us. We have to use our eyes of faith and ask the Lord to make you to see. Ask the Lord to open up your eyes so that you can see his purpose and you can see more of his grace. He'll, he'll, he's faithful. He's not going to be upset with you for asking for that. He wants you to see his glory. He wants you to know of his presence. Um, I lean on the <clears throat> verse, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the message to his church. That is our the message to us. And, and that's something to meditate upon. That God our Father and the Lord Jesus have a message to us grace and peace and we have to lean on that we have to lean on that and lean into that as we look to him to lead us in this life jesus has secured for us grace and peace that's something that's ours um, and we should rejoice and praise him in the spirit for it we should offer up the sacrifice of praise which is one of the believer pre-sacrifices that we should Meditate on these things and it will cause us to praise him and to thank him and to rejoice uh, in the in the truths that he's revealed to us. And I pray that this lesson will help you in your study, that it would open up um, the, the many things that are around us that are available to us in scripture as we study and that God would give you eyes of faith to be able to see these things. Let's close. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessing of God, the Holy Spirit. And thank you for the comfort of your truth, the grace that we have now, and the hope uh, we have in eternity, all because of the work that you did on our behalf to deliver us from the consequence and the penalty of sin. Thank you, Father, for that. I pray that we would live our lives in a way that will glorify you, even in this lesson. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.